Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due. Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Today. Tonight, Craig Malonson and the voice of the Cajuns, Jay Walker. Welcome, Jay. Thank you. It was um, it was quite a weekend. You know, you, you know, basketball wins Thursday and Saturday. Baseball wins two out of three. Women's basketball wins on on Saturday. Tennis had a great weekend. You know, if it wouldn't wouldn't for those darn Cajun baseballers on Friday night, it would have been a perfect weekend. I know what is wrong with those. guys? I know, right? Talk about talk about baseball, though. I, I think we, we can both agree that. It's if you're a baseball fan, you'd love it. You had small ball, you had long ball. If if you had if you're a baseball fan, you got to see three games at Russo Park this weekend, and you know, ever since, especially since the refurbishing, there's there's something about when the gates open and folks file in, and you've got you know a really solid crowd and. I remarked, and I think I remarked it to you during the broadcast Saturday, and I said it again today, that you can tell about the crowd if you look in the bleachers. Because the grandstand sold out. Not everybody shows up for every game, and sometimes there's empty seats, and people go, oh, people aren't coming to the games. Those tickets are sold, okay? But who's walking up and buying tickets and going in? And a lot of those folks, all of those folks sit in the bleachers. Now, summer season ticket holders, but, you know, Friday and Saturday, those bleachers were pretty full. And that was, that was great. That was great. Well, I can always tell when it's going to be a good crowd. You know, my seat's right behind home plate. But at the same time, I do have two tickets in the left field bleachers. And when I know that it's easy to give them away, that people want to come to the game. People are looking for tickets, and, and I never sell my tickets. I give them away. Just won't ask for them to be used. I don't care if they sit in the seat or go somewhere else. As long as they're coming in the ballpark, it's all good to me. Yeah. I, I um, You know, Matt Deggs, uh, after the game, and he's also tweeted it, um, that the most valuable player this weekend was the, was the crowd. And let me say this. It's been a long time since Russo Park was rocking. And I had forgotten how much I missed it and forgotten how much it meant until this weekend. Well, you know, I talked about it a little bit with Matt Deggs, and then I think you and I talked about it on the broadcast that this is the atmosphere that UC Irvine came in for. Yep. And thank God it wasn't a COVID year again or one that just stopped dead in the season. This yeah. was special. This no, weekend. you know, it was. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a comment here when you start talking about the Cajuns feeding off the crowd. The only way that a home team feeds off the crowd in a positive way is if you've got a bunch of alpha dogs, okay? You've got to have the kind of guys that they go out there and say, okay, you guys are behind me, watch what I'm going to do for you. If you don't have a bunch of alpha dogs, your home team can, your home crowd can intimidate you sometimes. 
oh, I'm up to bat and they're all cheering and my God, what if I fail? But if you're an alpha dog, you thrive on that. And, you know, it, it especially was true today in the Sunday game. But you saw guys raise their level of play. The more the crowd got into it, the more they were into it. And that is what has a chance to make this ballpark, these fans, this season with this team a very difficult place to play. Because it's been quite a few years since this place was so intimidating that you had a home record that people said, oh, okay, I don't think I want to go over there. It's been a long time. Whether that's going to happen this year or not, I don't know, but I certainly enjoyed and liked what I saw out of this team this weekend. And I'm not talking about winning two out of three. I'm talking about the way they responded, the way they were together, the way they got after each other, the way they celebrated good things. There's a lot to like about this team. And I don't think that we've scratched the surface yet because we barely hit 200 for the weekend. I. Uh if there was a negative, that's what it was. But at the same time, the thing that we did while hitting 200 was timely hitting. Oh, we got we, we hit in the clutch. There was no question about that. And uh, and again, I think that's when you have alpha dogs that can feed off the crowd, you get clutch hits. It's one of those things that I really felt like that uh, the guys, they did. I mean, you had... Uh, the LaFleur kid that came out today and pitched, uh, I'm sure, no offense to him, but probably never pitched in front of 50 or 100 people before. Uh, so it could have been very easy. I mean, I don't know who he, who he pitched. I, I don't know if he pitched when he was at Ole Miss, okay? That's true, he didn't. And and so, but, you know, he now he's played before big crowds before. But, yeah. you know, he, he came in, did a nice job. But but the guy who really seemed to get in, into that with the was Bo Bonds, you know, and 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 Matt Deggs said intent sometimes can top ability, and I didn't see anything on the radar gun that would have been intimidating about Bo Bonds. But he pounded the strike zone, he pitched with a purpose, and he stood out there and said, "You're not going to hit me," and. When you have that kind of attitude and that kind of confidence, again, fueled by the crowd, all of a sudden you become an all-conference guy. And and for, you know, here's a great stat. Guy faces nine batters and pitches three in the third innings. Now, some folks would say, well, wait a minute. But he came in, he threw one pitch. Julian Brock threw that guy out. That's a third of an inning. Not to be confused with Brock Julian, who's <laughs> not on the team. <laughs> and then uh, and then he comes out and retires nine in a row, five of them on strikeouts. And, um, yeah, it was just, you know, we saw throughout the weekend, we saw guys, we saw pitchers get themselves in trouble and get themselves out of trouble. Um, and, and if there was a, the most pleasant surprise for me is the way we pitched this weekend. Because we found out that we've got a, a bunch of guys that we can rely on, and and before folks, well, first game, first weekend, yeah, I, all of that's true. Okay, you're not going to make any judgments based on this weekend, but 
This is a team that hit 300 last year, returns eight of nine starters in the lineup, and the ninth guy is Ben Fitzgerald. Okay, and for the Cajun pitching staff to shut that down the way they did, especially with, with big pitches at clutch times, you can't turn your back on that. That's that They achieved something this weekend against a good hitting team. Let's go on to the Sunbelt Conference right now. We're going to talk more a little bit about each game. Uh, not, not, not big in depth, but I want to hit some of the highlights of what I saw and get your thoughts on it. But around the Sunbelt, I know you were reading the store, scores all weekend long. What surprised you the most? I can tell you what surprised me. We talked about it off air, but go for it. South Alabama lost two out of three at home in their own tournament against just okay competition. Okay, they, they didn't have somebody come in and that, you know, say, oh, my God, you know, this team may come in and dominate us. Um, those were three games that I thought they would win, especially with their pitching staff. And they went one and two. Um, I want to look at box scores. I want to see who threw. I want to, you know. But um, but that's the biggest surprise. But you know what, Craig? Overall, overall, I thought this was a very disappointing weekend for the Sun Belt. I, I, I not only the Sun Belt, and I, I, I didn't look at today's stores, but I was surprised at the top 25 teams that struggled this weekend with teams that they should have blown out. You know, I, I, some, of our, some of our schools in our league, you know, and some of it has to do with geography. Some of it just has to do with philosophy. Some of it has to do with the fact that, look, we haven't been traditionally good, so we need to win some games early. You know, Georgia State and Troy went out and dominated much lesser opponents, which is what you're supposed to do. Um, but UT Arlington lost the series to A&M Corpus Christi. Um, Little Rock got hammered Friday night by Eastern Illinois. Now, they won the second game, and I, I don't know what they did on Sunday. Coastal Carolina did what they were See, they did what they were supposed to do in a tournament against competition not as good as them, which is what South Alabama didn't do. Well, Little Rock uh, took took the game today 11-4, so they took two out of three from Eastern Illinois. Actually, Coastal lost to Kent State today, two to okay. one. Okay, all right. Um, so, but, but they play West Virginia tomorrow. And and Coastal beat Kent State on Friday, 13-8. to eight. Yeah. Um, Georgia Southern lost three to Tennessee, and they weren't competitive in any of them. And, and that's very disappointing because Georgia Southern, I think, is one of the top four teams uh, in the league. Uh, Texas State uh, struggled a little bit in at least one of their games with Utah Valley. Um, I, I, it just, I wanted to see our league come out and win a bunch of series this weekend. And it really didn't happen unless you were really playing teams that weren't very good. And I mean, Holy Cross and Purdue-Fort Wayne, you know, no disrespect to them, but but they're not good programs. Uh, and and Georgia State and Troy did what you're supposed to do against against teams like that. But, but I, w I was disappointed overall. I do not want to hear from anybody that tells me, oh, Troy's hitting the crap out of the ball because they played a ten and the team that was ten and twenty last year in the Ivy League. I'm assuming Holy Cross. Oh, uh, that's the Patriot League. Is it Patriot League? Yeah. Okay. 
doesn't matter. I'm sorry. Holy Cross is not a good team. There was no reason for them to play them. But, you know, we had a St. Peter's one year, which mm-hmm. ended up hurting us. Mm-hmm. So, Troy, I'm sorry you do this every year. You want to see something here? Get out and play some competition early in the year. So, Oh, well, you're fussing. I'm, I'm just I, no, no. We, we've I, got no, to get I, better as a league. No, no, look, you're absolutely right, and and I uh, and I'm with you. The game of the the game of the weekend was probably Friday night at Warhawk Field. Um, ULM playing Southern Illinois. ULM gets an RBI single in the bottom of the eighth inning. They win one to nothing in a game that went. Are you ready? One hour and forty four minutes. That's you gotta love that. I mean, one hour and f- I know we've had a lot of two hours, two oh five, two. I, but I don't remember a a sub too many sub two hour games. Well, there 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 haven't been very many. You know, I remember the the game that Carson Baranek had at Arkansas State um, in twenty fourteen when he just went out and. I think through a one hitter or a two hitter, uh, and through like you know seventy something pitches, and the game lasted maybe an hour fifty, um, but, but an hour and forty four. Well, I have a feeling they paid they they paid for it today and, and yesterday with a uh, 11, 11 to three loss to Southern Illinois in today's game ten to nine. I don't think that was a a, a two hour game. No, probably not. Now. I, I want to give uh, I want to give the the Warhawks a little bit of props here, okay? Because they've done some things with their ballpark in the off season. Uh, they've turfed the field, and they've also added some uh, I guess some dugout boxes because you know the yeah uh, it, the stands are raised, and I think that they've gone ahead and added some dugout seats. Um, really, you know, premium seats like where you sit. Yep. you know, and um, so you know, props to them. For taking a step forward, Arkansas State's doing the same thing. They're adding some seating down the left and right field line this year. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be done by the time the Cajuns go up there, but they're in the process of doing that. Look, you're only your league is only as good as the bottom, and you know ULM for years was the bottom. They're not the bottom anymore. I think Mike Federico is going to have them playing very uh, competitive baseball, and we've seen that the last couple of years. Um, you know, Arkansas State uh, traditionally is a, a you know a 500 club if they're good and on a good year. Um, looks like they're trying to get better. Uh, neither UTA nor Little Rock, while they're not horrible, neither one of them is in the process of fighting for a championship, and they're leaving the league. And then they're going to get replaced, among others, by Old Dominion and Southern Miss. Hello. Yeah. Um, Let's play some ball. So I'm. Um, you know, I'm um, a little disappointed, I guess, in what I saw. Although, you know, like I said, there are some schools that, that look like they're trying to take some steps forward, and for a while they weren't trying, so props to them. Well, so Southern Illinois is, is, is not a powerhouse, but they're not a bad team, in my opinion, either. So it was good to see you, you talked about UL Monroe and ULM, and, uh, you know, just, just a quick shout out to Coach Marlin and, and, and the guys. This the last uh, last two games beating ULM team that I think they should have beaten, and uh, and glad they did. And it was nice to see. I got to speak to Nick White, voice of the Warhawks, for uh, a few minutes after the game. So it was good to see him. So you met Misty. I did meet Misty. 
Two good people right there. Yeah. Always good to talk to Nick. Nick Nick is, you know, we have a brotherhood of broadcasters, as you know. There's no greater human being than Nick White. I mean, he's, he's just... He's just as good as they come. He introduced me as one of the, he's one of the good guys down here. I said, well, for a Louisiana Tech guy and a ULM broadcaster, you're pretty good yourself, dude. <laughs> so, no, love, love chatting with Nick. Got two wonderful little boys and, and watching them grow and, up and, on and, Facebook. And, you know, just to, just to address something that you just said. The Cajuns beat ULM twice and your comment was, well, they should. And, and I'm not going to disagree with that, but this is a ULM team that had gone out and won three of their last four and actually had won away from home, which is something they've not done very much. This is a team that, um, that swept UTA, a team that beat the Cajuns twice. And uh, so they've, they've gone out and, and won their share. They only play seven guys. And... Um, they're, they're challenged inside, but on nights when they're shooting the basketball, and they've got a really good guard in Andre Jones, Yes, that, that they're, t they're at least tough to beat. And if you look at ULM's scores this year, the majority of their losses are single digits. And so they've been, they've been right there in a lot of games this year. I guess my comment was coming from the fact on early on, I didn't think they were very good, and they haven't, they haven't proved immensely. And no, they're a team, and, and, and they're only five and ten in the league. Yeah. Okay. But you know, I just I feel well. The game up there, honestly, I was a little shocked because it was it was, it was a close game, and I felt that's one that we could have let slip away. But the and, and last night, I thought the Cajuns' second half was probably some of the best basketball I've seen in a long, in a long time on both teams, though. Yeah, both teams. That was both a good, teams played well. Second half of basketball was very good last night um, and very enjoyable. Cajun shot 60% uh, in the second half last okay. night, and they held ULM to about 38% in the second half, uh, and that's what won the game for them. I, I, you know, defensively, the last 10, 12 minutes, they were really good. Um, and, and so as a result, they were, they were able to come out with a win, despite the fact they didn't have Jordan Brown. Yes. Who um, who was out because of contact tracing. He didn't have COVID, but he's out with contact tracing. Don't get me started. And um and 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 then you had the, the thing with Jalen Dalcourt that you didn't even know if he was gonna play. He got the word about ninety minutes before tip off that his grandmother had passed, and he was distraught. And the the coaches, you know, they got with him, they loved on him and um and they said, Jalen, look. You don't have to play tonight if you don't want to. You know, if you want to go home, if you want to be with your family, whatever, you go ahead and go. We're going to support you. And if you want to play, that's okay, too. And um, and he said, no, uh, I, I think I want to play. And Bob had decided before this news came out, Bob had decided he was going to start him because Jalen's played pretty well lately the, and, and had earned a start. Exactly. And so he did start him, and he... You know, he comes out and uh, hits some big shots, hits four big free throws, um, got a uh, an offensive rebound dunk that was huge, played very, very well, and uh, and I was very happy for him um, because I know that that wasn't easy. No, it, it never is when a family member passes away, and especially when you're close to someone like that. A grandmother, I think, sometimes is, 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 is a little bit harder. Sometimes your grandma is your mother figure. Yes. And um, and even if she's not, 
she's your grandma. Yes. And and if it, it, look, I lived with uh, I lived with my grandmother when uh, when I was young. Um, Feel sorry for her. No, I, I, rest I, I, her I, God rest I, her soul. I'm and, sorry. And 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 she, you know. She was one of the two mother figures. I mean, I had my mother as well, but I grew up in a single parent household. My mother and my grandmother, and um, so I get it. I get how sometimes you're really, really close to grandma, or in my case, Mimi. Well, you know, back to Jalen real quick. I mean, besides, you mentioned the free throws, and that's why I thought the Cajuns uh, shot well down the stretch with free throws, and that's why they were able to not only take the lead and extend the lead. Kobe Julian, 61% free throw shooter. He went 10 for 10. Kobe has been on fire, and I think last night was his uh, career high? Yeah, yeah. He had 26, career high. Shout out to Kobe Julian. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, uh, get away from the Sun Belt, get away from base, uh, Sun Belt baseball and basketball, and we're going to talk the games this weekend. Listen, we're talking with Craig Molossa and Jay Walker. Welcome back into We're Talking Tonight, Craig Melanson and Jay Walker. Jay, let's talk about Friday night first. I know one thing I will say, I know some fans were disappointed, but the majority of people I spoke to liked what they saw out of the Cajuns, you know, on Friday night. Even though we hadn't won, they could see a difference in the play. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know, you hit... Well, you hit a couple of bombs early. Okay, you hit three of them in the first three innings. Um, but, you know, you had their number one guy on the ropes. And you let him get up off the mat, and then when you did, he dominated you. Now, that's what really good pitchers do, and so credit to Frias. Because this is a guy who's... Um, on some All-American lists, uh, he's he's not one of those guys that's going to hit 96 to 98 on the gun, but he knows how to pitch. Uh, he knows how to get you out. And, um, you know, to his credit, he jumped up and did that. The reason I was not distraught when we left, in the fifth inning, they got five runs off Brandon Talley. Okay, and one of them was on an error that Tally himself made. Three of the runs were earned. That's something we've not seen from Brandon Tally in his career, and we probably won't see again. So I would so I'm okay because they won on an aberration when you get right down to it. It was an aberration. Um, now to their credit, when they started getting it working and they started playing West Coast baseball and they started, you know, putting balls in play. The bunts they deadened about thirty-five feet from the from the base every time. They were really, really good at that, and and that was the one time over the weekend that we really saw that that segment of the UC Irvine team, and that segment's really good. You know, uh, you say that now. I'm looking at it because one of the things that you see a lot with teams coming in is. Uh, not knowing and okay, not knowing how to deal with the turf. Mm -hmm. They play on Bermuda grass, so for them to kill those balls the way they did on their bunts, I mean, I, I don't. Maybe the catcher jumps out and throws one out, but that's still even tough. I mean, if they're playing on grass, but they they did everything right on those bunts. That, that's you, unbelievable. You know, you know what was interesting in that inning? 
Ben Fitzgerald's up, okay? And they ask him to bunt, and he fouls it off. And then on the next pitch, they ask him to bunt again. That was a surprise to me. The second time he got it down, he did what he was supposed to do. But it just goes to show you what the philosophy is over at Cal Irvine. And as we found out on Sunday, that's a philosophy that Matt Deggs wants nothing to do with. <laughs> yes. That, that was a... Uh, and I heard you talk about that on the broadcast, that you were surprised that he was bunting with two strikes. And I never thought about it. Or Not two strikes. On his second... Uh, after after the first one not getting down. But those guys, I mean, like I said, it, it's the kind of baseball you enjoy because it's not just slugging, slugging, slugging. We got a little bit of everything. Yeah, you, and I think that's what happens when you play a West Coast team. Now, you know, in that game, uh, Tally made the errors, critical error. Uh, the five-run inning, three of the runs were earned. It's the only error the Cajuns made all weekend. And that was very impressive to me. Um, I, w I was disappointed they didn't compete a little bit more in the, in the second half of the game. And then I had to put it all in perspective after I got home that night because Frias is really good. And then uh, their sidearm guy and King on Friday night were both oh. My God, I hope we don't see them again, only to find out we'd see them again and, and handle it. But those two guys were really good, man. Well, the back of their bullpen is, I thought, was probably the best one-two punch that we've seen as Cajun fans in a long time. Yeah, no, they were very, very good. And I expected them to see them again. The, to, today, jumping out of order a little bit here, to, I was surprised to see the sidewinders so early. But when we did see them early, I'm like, okay, this tells me something. They're trying to stop something here. And I'm not sure they can. Now, to his credit, he did his job. If I was going to say something, anything, that's a question mark about this UC Irvine team. Because, look, eight starters back from a team that hit 300. The ninth guy's Ben Fitzgerald. They're going to hit and they're going to score runs. Um, again, everybody back from a team that was one of the better fielding teams in America. Um, so they're going to play defense. Your one-two punch and your starting rotation and your closer are all back. There's a little bit of an issue in the depth of that pitching staff, I think. And and when I say that, I mean you got maybe seven guys. Okay, you've got your three starters and and four guys that they used in relief, and that was about all they used. And that could come back to um, bite them a little bit. So if there's anything I'm questioning about them as they leave and go toward the rest of their season, I think they need to develop some guys um, as far as pitching is concerned because as the season goes on, they're going to need more than what they used over the weekend. And which is a little bit surprising to me because last year they played four-game series in conference play. So four-game series, you went through a lot of pitchers. You did. And I mentioned three top guys that you had back, um, and, and, and the sidewinder also, so four guys that you had back. But they also had four or five guys that they lost that pitched a lot okay. last year. So that was that was the that's the thing as they leave. I said, okay, let, I'm going to follow this and see how they do with that staff as the season progresses. 
Well, as we know, it's the week, first weekend of the year. I'm sure they've got some midweek games. They're going to get some guys, some innings. And and honestly, as a Cajun fan, I'm a huge Anteater fan the rest of the season. Oh, I sure. want them to. I want them to win, and I want them to win a lot. Yep. Yes, you do. Uh, listen, we're talking with Craig Melanson and Jay Walker. Jay, let's talk. You mentioned him a couple times here. Former Cajun, Ben Fitzgerald. Uh, ben left. Not a Cajun anymore. I'm cool with that. But I've got to give him some props. Because it would have been very easy for him to go to a team that didn't have a lot of guys returning. I mean, to go back where you had eight starters, a, a team that got to a regional final, he stepped in there and said, I'm going to compete for a job. And uh, it's a job that it appears that he's won, although he didn't play today. Uh, and I don't think he had a particularly good weekend. No, with he did You know, he had he had a windblown fly ball triple, and that was his one contribution uh, over the um, over the weekend. The bunt. Yes. Moved, moved some runners. Right. But, but I'm so yeah, yeah, I mean, he had one hit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, um, there was like the story within the story with Ben Fitzgerald coming back, okay? Because you know he's good, and at the same time, you know how to pitch him. Yes. Uh, you don't need a scouting report because you had about 60 games worth. But the thing that, um, that Matt Degg said to me that I didn't even think about was he said that Fitzgerald was as good as anybody on the team last year with signs. And so the Cajuns had to do a lot of maneuvering and manipulating and adjusting of their signs so Irvine wouldn't know exactly what the Cajuns were about to do because that's something that Fitz was very good at. So I, I didn't realize that and I had not thought about it. And when Matt told me about that, I said, okay, that's interesting. That's that, really interesting. That, that is truly, and that's the story within the story. That we like to bring you here on We're Talking with Craig Malasaw and Jay Walker. Uh, no, it, by all accounts, I mean, uh, Ben, I believe I, I believe his brother is younger that played in the Junior College World, one of the Junior College World Series last year. So, I mean, baseball family understands the game. Sure. So, yeah, and I think that helped them on Friday night, quite honestly. Probably so. With a little bit, because if he knew the signs... He's got he's got to be able to help him with the scouting report, and the guys that he, he's able to help him with are guys like Tally, that pitched a lot last year for us, that were strong, uh, Chipper Menard. Uh, so, the guys that came in that that they hadn't had a chance to see or didn't have film on, really knew knew what they were doing. So, uh, I'm happy for the Cajuns on on Friday, Saturday's game. You know, I the power goes out. You know. The radio broadcast, you're having to do it from a phone. The TV broadcast is out. And I got friends texting me after the game. Why didn't they stop the game without the without the power? I'm like, you're, first of all, A, you're not playing at night. Second of all, it's baseball. It's not basketball. You don't need freaking a clock you know, or last, anything else. The last thing you needed was power. Okay, yeah, I mean, you come know, on. You, give me look, a break. You, you understand that you know lots of teams played without lights back in the, back in the day. No, I mean, there's no need to stop the game, um, and it and it was about 30 minutes um, that we were without, because I looked when we got back on, I looked at my phone, and it had been 30 minutes since I had called in. Um, that made it a little challenging on our end, but um, 
with exception of, uh, you know, whatever was on the scoreboard, there really was nothing that affected the play or players. And it was funny because we went into the weekend with no track man because the the speed of the pitch was not showing up. Right. On the, and then all of a sudden the power comes back on and the speed of the pitch is there now. So maybe they just need to reboot the system every now and then. So it's, it's, uh, but no, uh, back to Saturday's game though, the real game, um, Peyton Havert, you know, I, I, I talked to coach Deggs after the game. I talked to him about Schultz and Toit, but I, it, and I'm not saying he took offense to it, but he brought up Havert's pitching, which I really hadn't considered because the other two pitched so well. But Havert really should, I thought, did a great job. One run in four innings. Uh, I think that um, I don't care who you are on that, on that team. If you give the opposition one run in four innings, Matt's going to take it. Yes. You know, and it doesn't matter if you're like the, the, the best pitcher on the team or the guy at the back of the bullpen. If, um, if you're going to go four innings and give up one run, that's a win. And, um, you know, Havard, Havard just doesn't disappoint. You know, he doesn't. He, he goes out and he competes. And he is who he is, and he's going to throw strikes, and he's going to spot the ball, and he's going to make pitches, and he's going to smile a lot. I mean, it's it's he looks maybe the least intimidating of any ball player in that club because he's got that cute little baby face. But look, he gets up in the mound and and he pitches with some attitude, and it's not visible attitude, and that he doesn't beat his chest or pump his fist. But he goes out there and he says, guys, I'm going to get you out, okay? Or I'm going to make you get yourself out. He, he's, he's one of the guys, not overpowering, not, but he didn't have his best stuff either, though, <laughs> according to Coach Deggs. So I'm looking forward to it. I always enjoyed when, usually on Sundays, I go down to the patio uh, boxes down on uh, the left field side. And when the, when the pitchers are out running their, their sprints back and forth to the dugout in between innings, the kid, you know, last year, he was a lot heavier, lost 40, 50 pounds. 36 pounds. 36 pounds. Uh, a lot heavier, but he was always running. He was always smiling. And it was like, hey, I'm here. And like I said, it's, it's, but you can tell his demeanor is a little bit different on the mound. So enjoyed, enjoyed watching him. Now, uh, you know, the, the Cajuns jumped out. Three runs in the first, which uh, you know, which was one of the things that there was. There were only two times I think this weekend that when, not I'm not going to say when 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 UC Irvine scored, but when UC Irvine put up big numbers, there were, it was only twice that the Cajuns didn't respond in the bottom of the inning. Once was Friday night, and once was today, which we'll get to later on. But last night again. You know, UC Irvine puts up one in the first. Cajuns respond with three in the bottom of the first. UC Irvine comes with five in the uh, three in the fifth. The Cajuns respond with three at the bottom of the fifth with three. I like their guts. I like their punch. It's 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 sweet. I don't know how to. It, it's smooth. I mean, you guys got Kyle DeBarge is everything that we thought we'd be. What he'd be yeah, at, at yeah, shortstop. He is. Yeah, he is. Dude is a real deal. No, he's good. The thing about. Uh, Saturday's game, you know, first of all, you know, 
I want to believe that that was an aberration for Chipper Menard. Uh, he just he just wasn't very good. Now we saw some saw some times last year that he was good, and there were in in single appearances we saw that he was good and that he was not so good. I know that in the fall and in the spring, the coaches talked about that they felt like he had taken some real steps forward. He did not show that in the game on Saturday. Now, hopefully that was an aberration. I I will agree with you, but in his defense, the ball that went off his glove, DeBarge, I think, starts a double play. Sure does. Or if Chipper gets the ball, you've got at least one out there. And I think I think the game. Okay, that was bad luck. Okay, yes. but he, 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 but he, he contributed to his own bad luck by letting people on base to begin with. I agree. Not I'm not going to argue with you. And um, I I just I just didn't feel like he had a very good outing. And then coming back, um, you know there was a critical error with that dropped foul ball, which gave one of the Cajuns another chance, and then came back with a hit. And then they wind up getting three runs that inning. Um, that was huge. And, and of course, you know, it was Kimple uh, with the big two-run homer that, you know, gave the Cajuns a, the lead. And then they tacked on a run at the end. But the team that had the reputation of being the great defensive team was the team that blinked a few times over the weekend. Cajuns made one error. It was on Friday. And then, uh, you know, you had you had the drop pop-up. You had uh, two uh, errors on catchers throwing the ball away on, on stolen bases. And um, and you had that drop pop-up. That drop pop-up was huge. So if if I if three errors on UC Irvine the weekend. Right. All three were on the catchers. No. two on, Well, yeah, all three were charged to the catcher because that drop pop-up was, was charged the, to the catcher which as I, well. Which... I understand, but at the same time, well, first of all, talked about it on air. I thought that that was the first baseman's ball. The, the catcher should have been right. in, in, in either the first baseman, Fitzgerald, should have been talking to him, or the pitcher should have been talking to him, either way. But at the same time, he kind of ran into the first baseman, so I understand the ball hit his glove. I guess you can't get an error to the first baseman for running into him. No, you can give an error to the, for the first baseman for not yelling ball, 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 because it's his ball. Yeah. Okay? Anytime you can call off the catcher, you you're won't. supposed to. Now, I, I'm just going to keep it real here. There's a reason why Ben Fitzgerald was a DH most of the time with the Cajuns. Not going to disagree with you there. And 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 it didn't matter if you were trying to play him in right field or at first base. He's he was not a good defensive player. And and I think that they because I'll tell you if they got a, an experienced good defensive player at first base, he's yelling ball 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 and he catches that ball and calls off the catcher. Let's go on to, and talk about the positive side of the Cajuns here with with you know we talked about Peyton Havert. Did I did I say it wrong earlier? No. Okay. I I've been been practicing on that a lot after last last year but Jacob Schultz I think came in shoved it up there you know what and said you're gonna like it you son of a you know what he did he smoothed the waters okay because you know Menard's given up the three runs and 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 the Cajuns are in some trouble at that point in the game and he comes in and he says guys I got you I got this 
Um, and he and he came in. He got out of the inning, and then he then he did his job, and then got a couple of outs in the seventh. And then with a left hander coming up, they decided to make the move. They came with Toit, but you know we've seen Schultz pitch multiple innings before. Schultz might have been able to finish him. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but he was he was very solid. Didn't didn't allow a hit. He walked one. He struck out two. Um, had you know had a wild pitch, but uh, he's a fly ball pitcher, and he got three fly outs and a ground out, and and so overall he was he was pretty solid. Yeah, I agree with you. He probably he might have been able to finish, but four innings is a lot, and if, especially if you want to use you know we got another game Tuesday night, but at the same time, I think Coach Deggs wanted to see a lot of pictures, and and we, with the left hander coming in, Dylan Toy was. One of the things that Matt Degg said is, and he said it today, that there were two guys who, during the fall, at the end of the fall, that he and Seth Thibodeau talked, and they said there were two guys that really had kind of taken a huge step forward and, and that stood out from the rest as far as the newcomers were concerned. One was Tommy Ray, and we saw that in the game on Friday. And the other was Dylan Toit. And now, I now Toit, you know, he was a junior college guy, but he's still listed as a freshman. And I, I said it during the broadcast, and I've said it to anybody who'd listen. the 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 first inter squad that I watched in the fall, the first pitcher I saw throw was Dylan Toit, and I texted Matt Deggs that night, and I said, "I like that left-hander that you started the game with." And I was sitting in your seat, and I was watching. The, the, the downward movement of his breaking ball. And I said, oh, you're going to get people out with that, you know? And, but Toit is one of those guys like Bo Bonds that pitches with some intent. Um, you know, he walked three, gave up two hits. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was thinking about, and I didn't bring it up to Coach Deggs, but I'll bring it up now because it's, 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 it's an interesting story in my opinion. Earl Weaver, when he was managing the Orioles, had a reliever named Don Stanhouse. He was the closer. Okay. He had two nicknames. One was Stan the Man Unusual, <laughs> and the other was Full Pack, because Earl Weaver was a heavy smoker, and they said that Stanhouse in the ninth inning, Weaver could go through a whole pack <laughs> because he would do stuff to like load the bases and then get out of it. And that's what I thought of watching Toit. Because he, you know, he walks three guys, he gives up two hits. That's five base runners in two and a third innings. But every time he did that, he came back. He had four strikeouts and there weren't a ton of hard hit balls off him. And now I I will I will say this. And I don't know if the coaches have talked to him. If they haven't, they probably will. I understand you getting excited, especially because it's the first time that you've pitched before more than 15 people in your life, okay? But you can't be demonstrative every time you get an out. Yeah. You know, you got to pick you got to pick your spots to fist bump or or to, to jump up and down whatever. You got to pick your spots. And, you know, 
beating your chest on a ground ball is probably not what the other team wants to see. He'll learn that. He'll learn that. And, and I'm sure it's going to be addressed. But he did remind me of Don Stanhouse uh, with some of the things that he did. But he made some huge pitches when he needed to. He reminds me, not because of his pitching style, maybe a little bit because he's a lefty, but he reminds me of, not not his attitude after the pitch, but but part of it is of Hogan Harris when he was a freshman. I went to Coach Robe and said, Coach, what is up? He's got the stuff. Why is, why is, why is he walking so many batters and doing this? He said, Craig, he thought it was fun in high school. He would walk the bases loaded and then strike out the next three. He would play with them. And I'm not saying that's what Toit was doing, but at the same time. Well, he, it's he, it, 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 that's kind of the pattern, though. And it wasn't yeah. that he was playing with them. Yeah. It's that guys were getting on. Exactly. And then, you know, he got guys on base and he said, okay, now watch this. And, and he went and he got him out. Look, I like this kid a lot. I do, too. I like him a bunch. Um, and I think he's going to be a weapon for the Cajuns because, look, when you can bring lefties out of the bullpen – and go get chew up a few innings and get outs. That is a huge weapon, and I think he's going to be a big weapon the rest of the year. And and I know he had a little entourage at the game. Yep. Okay, and they had a bunch of folks wearing big Toit T-shirts. And uh, you know, I I'm glad that he was able to perform in front of his family and and, and family friends, and got his first collegiate save. And it was when the last out was made. It was a lot of fun to watch him celebrate. It was. It was. It was a good, good day. Um, for those that don't know, uh, Dylan Toit was a uh, teammate of Brock Julian. Julian Brock, damn it, Craig. Julian Brock, uh, a high school teammate of Julian Brock. And uh, folks, he did it during the broadcast when he was sober. I'm just saying. I'm sober now too, most of the time. But we're going to take one more quick break. And then we're going to come back and, and, and kind of close up with, with today's game and take a quick look ahead. Don't want to go in-depth this weekend because I know you haven't looked at it. You're not here this weekend, and uh, but we do have Southeastern coming in. Uh, but I just, just a quick talk about the teams in general and what they've done in the past and the strength of the schedule we've got coming up over this next week. So you've been listening. We're talking Craig Malasson and Jay Walker. We'll be right back after this quick message and this drink break welcome back into we're talking tonight craig malonso and dave shit, dave amato dave is not here super dave is not here cajun dave is but not he here should, but he should be he should be i know he i know he did a nice little write-up uh about after uh saturday's game i disagreed with him a couple of things and i need to probably get him on here and have him to challenge him straight up i'm not gonna uh, do that but um jay walker voice of the cajuns yeah that's me Hey, thanks, Jay, and not Dave, but I'm so used to Dave being on during football season, so we'll get you back on, Dave. We'll talk. Uh, talk. I know you've been following Cajun baseball, uh, softball as well, so um, this week, uh, well, no, we didn't talk about the final game, which I think I just blew off the the final game. That's okay. It's fresh in my mind. Okay. So, um, you know, it was a game that, even though we were down 3-2, to two, Late in the game, I felt that we, I never felt we were out. Of, I mean, I'm, you don't feel like you're out of three to two, but I never felt like we were going to lose. Well, 
it was an interesting game in that, you know, Wilson went out and dominated his opponent for three and two-thirds. Then he gives up four straight hits, and and they've got the lead. Um, and then you can go ahead and add it up. After that, um, let's see, they got one hit the rest of the way. And that was that was a hit that Wilson gave up starting the next inning. And that's when they went and got him. And the Cajuns, meanwhile, you know, they got they got a couple of runs early, and then they did nothing. I mean, if, if you look, I mean, they they had you know one or two base runners like for about a five inning stretch, and then when they came up in that final inning, and and Marshak got the leadoff hit. When that happened, it's like you go, okay. And then the other part of you goes, wait a minute. That's King they got out there. Yep. Uh, and so are they going to be able to get a clutch hit? But when Marshak got on base, you knew they were going to run him. You knew he was going to steal. And you knew he was going to be successful. And then Robertson walks. And they do the, the double steal on a, a swing and a miss for strike three by DeBarge. Well, that means Kimple's not going to hit because anybody in his right mind is going to walk Kimple. So, you know, and then Rockefort had one hit, and that was the home run, and that was all he had to show for the weekend. Uh, but he just laced one. And then and then good for C.J. Willis, you know, to, to come through with that hit. Now, you know, after Wilson left the game, They, they they come in, you know, with LaFleur, the lefty, and he walks one guy, but in an inning and a third, that's all he does, 24 pitches. And then they bring Bonds in. And Bonds, and, and we talked about this early in this uh, in this cast, he's one of those guys that's going to get energized by the crowd. And he's going to let the crowd help him. And... Look, he got out there, and, and his stuff, I mean, you know, you look at the radar gun. There was nothing that was just making you go, oh, my God, he's doing this. But I'll tell you, he spotted his pitches. I thought, I'm, I'm going to assume that Seth Thibodeau's calling pitches, okay? Seth Thibodeau does a great job of calling pitches and, and, uh, and, and had these guys set up. He'd been watching them all weekend, and Bonds just executed, and... You know, he held the rope while waiting for the offense to bounce back. Look, we had seven, six, and six hits in the three games. 19 hits in three games. Um, but you won two out of three because with the exception of a couple of glitches, your pitching staff was outstanding against a 300-hitting team from last year. Yeah. And I thought, and Brad brought it up today, one of the keys on the weekend is what the Cajun pitching staff did against Nathan Church. Church, I think, had two hits. Um, and he had many chances to drive in runs, and the Cajuns got him out. I think he had three RBI, but he had a chance for a lot more than that. You know, it's it's Bonds, and I know we, we, we've... Bonds. Bo Bonds. <laughs> Bonds. I know we've talked about it in, in 
and I hate to keep bringing it up, but let's be honest. It it hasn't been three years since Coach Robichaud passed yet, so we still get we. And you and I talked about it on the broadcast on Saturday. We learned a lot from the man, and we see a lot of the game the way he taught through us. his eyes. Yes. But Bo Bonds looked like a Robichaud pitcher. He went up there. He was ready to pitch. And it was interesting when and he was up there on the mound and realized the batter wasn't on there. So he took a step off and he got and he pitched. There yeah. was no there was no in between. Yeah, he looked uh, he he looked like one of those robe guys that okay, I'm gonna throw it, you're gonna catch it, you're gonna throw it back to me, and I'm gonna throw it again. Um But you know, here's the other thing that we were reminded of this weekend. And we were reminded of it in the eighth inning tonight. Matt Deggs is not Tony Robichaux. No. And that is not a criticism, okay? They have different philosophies. And when Marshak got on base to start the inning, it was okay. Now, obviously, and, and I said, okay, are you going to steal him and bunt him to third, or are you going to bunt him to second and let him steal third? Because both, you know, because obviously both was going to happen, right? Well, you know, the thing that I've got to start remembering about Matt Deggs is he ain't button to tie a game. He's no. button to put you away. And now, when uh, when they got to second and third for just a second, I had the double squeeze in the back of my mind. And then and then they walked Kimple, and I said, well, I'm not going to do it with the bases loaded. Yeah. But I, I'll bet if you went, to Rage and Pagan, and I'll, I haven't looked at it yet. I'll do it when I get home. I'll bet that there are folks on there saying, why aren't you bunting here? Yeah. Why aren't you bunting here? Because that's all we know. For 25 years, that's all we knew. And Matt's got a different philosophy. And sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. And when it doesn't work, he's going to get criticized because bunting is what we're used to. It was one of those things that I thought of. I, th- I I agree with you. I thought about the bunt, especially because Tyler Robinson put down two beautiful ones yesterday. But at the same time, when you look down the third baseline, that third baseman was playing in looking for the bunt sure. this time. So that's the point where you don't want because you don't want to give up the out. And unless he's playing behind the bag, yes. okay? Unless he's playing behind the bag, Matt's not going to bunt there. Okay, you, and that's the thing we need to understand. He's not going to bunt in that situation. And that's where I have learned to look at the field, look where they are, because I think that plays in. Now, sometimes they are going to be playing in. You know they're going to bunt. They're going to move the guy over. There, there are going to be those times. But that I, I agree. I mean, yeah, what, what we did for the last 25 years, and again, not a knock on Matt Deggs. It's not or, a knock on Toby either. either. It, it, it's... Different coaches have different philosophies, and it's up to us as fans to adjust to Matt Degg's philosophy. Well, you know, I thought Bo Bonds did a, a, a tremendous job. I mean, obviously the numbers speak for themselves, and I don't want to put any pressure on him talking about a Tony Robichaud pitcher or anything like that because we know he's all of them are going to have a hiccup now and then. And, and if, if, it, if it, you know, today, was it today or... Uh, Yesterday, Chip and Menard had the hiccup, and but we were able to bounce back from. Hopefully, that happens. So, I'm um, yeah, it, it's gonna. This this is gonna be fun. You know, you know what I loved about today. 
we had the smallest of the three crowds. Yes. Might have been the loudest. We had the loudest of the three crowds today. And, you know, you had the guy in the stands that was screaming Ragin' and everybody else was screaming Cajuns. It was like the fans that were there said, okay, we're going to help you here. We're going to do everything we can in order to help you win this game. And I think that that probably holds true at Lamson Park as well, because I don't get to see much softball. Yeah. But at Russo Park, they fans don't react at the Cajun Dome or at Cajun Field the way they react at Russo Park. And from the standpoint of, okay, we're going to help you here. It's funny you bring up the raging Cajun cheer because, as you know, I listen to you and Brad on the radio. I'm sitting down behind home plate because one thing I want to know more than just the statistics, and there's a reason you bring your radio to the ballpark and you guys give it to me, but I could hear the – because where I sit, it's underneath where you can't hear all of that. You can hear the Cajun, but I couldn't hear the Ragin. But you could hear it through the crowd mic that you had. And you could tell. And the, the, the part about it is you got 4,000 people there plus, And you can hear the one guy is as loud with Ragin as the rest of the crowd is with Cajun. And that's not taking away anything from the Cajuns. But the Ragin, that guy. Yeah, he was good. And, and now I will go ahead and say technology has something to do with that. Because you know this. But there is a crowd mic that we use for football that we don't use for other sports. And I had it with me, and I set it up this weekend. And it picks up the crowd better than any other crowd mic we use. And guess what? We're going to be using that the rest of the year. I did. I, I saw it. It was sitting right in front of us on Saturday, and I and I, I was and it never dawned on me because I. Quite honestly, I've been in the booth with you at baseball, but it, it's been as a fan to watch and, and to help out with some spotting and things like that, but I've never looked at that side of it. Excellent job. I mean... Yep, we're going to use that puppy the rest of the year. And you're listening, you know, that, that puppy is being used by Jay Walker, Voice of the Cajuns, who's uh, joined We're Talking tonight. Jay, let's look ahead. I, I do want... After we look ahead, though, I want to bring something back up, and we'll get to it, that you mentioned and talk a little bit about Seth Thibodeau. I know it's not something we talked about before I said we were going to talk, what we were going to do this last segment. But uh, let's look ahead uh, quickly. Uh, you got Southeastern that, that played uh, that played South Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. Or is it Edwards? SIU Edwardsville, yes. Edwardsville. Uh, took two out of three. Um, I, I, I can't tell you anything about the school that they played. SIU Edwardsville, uh, I want to say they're playing in the Ohio Valley Conference. Um, you know, Southeastern took a couple of one-run wins, one to nothing, four to three. And then they got slapped pretty good today, 10 to three. I don't know a lot about SIUE. Um, I just know that, you know, you're playing at home and against a team that is um, not going to be confused with some of the teams you're going to play during the regular season. They got two out of three. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go back to something that Tony always said. Your goal is always to get two out of three. And they got that. Yeah. 
Now, Southeastern, we know through the years, has been a good competition and good good for the Cajuns and good RPI schools. Matt, so. Matt Reiser is a really good baseball yeah. coach. A lot, what, what folks may not know, unless you really follow college baseball, when Wayne Graham retired at Rice, Matt Reiser was one of the two finalists for that job. Wow. The job went to the guy at Tennessee Tech who had just gone to a super regional, and as it turned out, that didn't work out, and now Jose Cruz Jr. is the coach at Rice. But that's how well-respected Matt Reiser is. And when this job was open, 99 people out of 100 figured that Matt Deggs was going to be the guy. But that other person thought it might be Matt Reiser. Yeah. Uh, and and, and um, so he's very, very well-respected as a coach. He's done a very good job at Southeastern. Well, two things about them. Uh, I know when we opened up against them, uh, Coach Deggs' first game we played them, Mm-hmm. And they had 36 on their hats. Much respect. Much respect. And former Cajun, Brock Batty, who's a senior there now, who we are both friends with his dad, is wearing number 36 because of Tony. So, much respect for Southeastern. Um, gee, I wonder. Now, I, I haven't looked at box scores. I don't know if Brock pitched this weekend. He, he pitched Saturday. He pitched, uh, had one batter. Okay. I don't, I don't know the situation. He, he, he walked him, so I don't know if it was a lefty-righty, if it was a situational. Now, I don't know. I did not look at Sunday's uh, box score, which we can hit up right now. But I, I did see him on Saturday. I did not see him on Friday. Uh, he did not pitch Saturday. So Now, how surprised are you going to be if he's Sunday. the starting pitcher on Tuesday? Not not at all. I won't be either. Not at all. Not, not one bit. So, uh, Brock... Uh, is very good friends with uh, Austin Perrin and two super kids, two super young. I shouldn't tell you two super young men. Yep, I know. I agree. So I, I, I agree. Uh, Brock is great. Um, I'm not going to be surprised if he's the starter. I, I hope he has great success at Southeastern. He's already got his degree. Yep. He's working on his master's, and and we're proud of him for that. Great family. So. All right, so uh, Friday we uh, head to Round Rock against the Stanford Tree. Uh, I'm sorry, Cardinal. Yeah, they won three out of four from Santa Clara over the weekend. They uh, they lost the game. They played two at um, at the uh, Sunken Diamond and then two at Santa Clara. Oh. Uh, and um, they wound up uh, losing at Santa Clara today by the score of 13 to nothing, but... They won 10 to 7, 8 to nothing, 10 to 6. Stanford is ranked in the top five in the country, and part of the reason why is they're really good offensively. Now, they're I, the team that knocked UC Irvine out of the NCAA tournament last year, also. Uh, they, they, UC and Irvine the went to the, to, the, to the last game, and, and, and Stanford defeated them. Um, look, they're, they're a really good club, and the Cajuns are going to have their hands full on Friday. They're going to have their hands full all weekend. Uh, the, this is a good field. Indiana struggled this weekend. They lost three at Clemson, but it's at Clemson, and Clemson is normally a pretty good baseball team. So you know, it, it they're gonna they're really gonna get challenged this weekend. You know, College World Series team last year, Stanford uh, guys, uh, two o'clock, uh, one o'clock. Wait a second, did I? Yeah, I did pull up the right. Why does Stanford not have us playing them on their schedule? 
Oh, I pulled up oh, last year's oh, schedule. Oh, that's last year's schedule. Well, okay. that's been, I'm clicking on links, and and that's what aggravates me now. Okay, they were two and they one. Played they played Cal State Fullerton. They they won one to nothing, lost eleven to nothing, and won eleven to one against Cal State Fullerton this weekend. Fullerton is in the Big West. Uh, but but what's their nickname? Uh, the Titans. The Titans. Okay. So, but they do play Santa Clara on Tuesday before they head to Round Rock and play us. One o'clock. One o'clock. On, um, on, on Friday. Friday. So, uh, Cody Juno, Brad Topham with the, with the call there. So, uh, sorry about that, guys. We talked about Santa Clara. Not there. But they do play Santa Clara on Tuesday night. Just a little premonition. So, it might mm-hmm. be a good ball game. Um, and that mean okay, I do have the right one. And we play Arkansas. But Arkansas was a College World Series team last year or no? No, they got upset in the Super Regional. They were number one seed, though, Yes, they? they were the number one national seed, and they got knocked off in the Super Regional. Um, they are. They went 2-1 and one, uh, over the weekend. They lost opening night to Illinois State out of the Missouri Valley, then won 5-1, to 4-2. to two. So, you know, you had three games this weekend that was pitching dominant, and um, Arkansas certainly can pitch. We know that. Um and we'll see, you know, that that's another very good club. Now, that is the Sunday night game, and that is at 6 p.m. on Sunday. Is it? I'm sorry. I thought, man, I could have swore I put these up in the order that, that we were playing. And, damn, that's why that's why you're the boss. And I just sit here and I look pretty. Jay. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> Jay has the voice for radio. I have the looks for television. And we try to... <laughs> And that might be the whiskey talking right that, now. That might be. That might so be. I'm sorry. So we, we jumped ahead to Arkansas. And, and, you know, the whole time I thought we had played Indiana, and I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, I knew the later game would be the two teams that were the closest. Right. And uh, so interesting, though. But, no, uh, Arkansas has been a good ball club the last couple of years. SEC strong. So uh, a little shocked at the Illinois State the first first game uh you know yeah a little bit because look bomb stadium is is one of the more intimidating places to play um and you know they had them at home and they lost opening night and i'm sure that everyone uh in the state of arkansas said oh well you know you were overrated again uh but they're look they're they're a really really good club and i'm gonna say this and this has nothing to do with the arkansas fans but i have a very good friend Cherney brother that went to school here, did not graduate from here, and bless his heart, thank you very much for your service, Richard. You spent 25 years in the Navy. Thank you for your service. But somehow, he graduated from Jennings, and I, I've got to ask him someone, but is an Arkansas fan. Why? I have no clue, but he went to school here. So, and I'm sick of seeing Omaha's. You got to get there to call yourself Omaha's first. That's it. So that's exactly right. Let's move on. Uh, Saturday now to Saturday's game. IU, a team though that uh, they they dropped all three of them, but a team four out of the last five years has made the NCAA tournament. The Big Ten is coming on strong. Has been beefing up their, which is very hard to do because the majority of their teams are above the St. Louis, uh, Indianapolis area, which means snow during during the during the spring in cold weather. So, but the Big Ten is stepping up, and, and you talked about it on one of your posts or our blogs. But 
D1 Baseball is projecting them to have two or three now. Which they were no, a big, projecting four. All right, four, but they were one they big were, league for the longest time. They were a big league for a long time. And what has happened is the Big Ten now has taken away three or maybe four at-large bids that have traditionally gone to non-P5 teams. And that is why at-large bids, when, you know, when um, D1 Baseball came out with their Sunbelt preview, they projected the Sunbelt to be a one-bid league. Um, and the Sunbelt has been a one-bid league for the most part for a few years now. There was the, the one year, I think, South Alabama and Coastal both got in, but it's, um, it's harder now because the Big Ten has, has decided that, oh, wait a minute, you know, college baseball is big enough to where we should be investing money in it, and they're doing that now. Now, they, um, they were not competitive at all the first two games against Clemson. They lost 9 to nothing and 19-4. to uh, But it was a very competitive game on Sunday. Went, uh, today it went 10 innings, 5-4. But if you look, they've got, if you look at their upcoming schedule, they have Miami of Ohio, and then they've got the three games in Round Rock. Then they come home to play Miami of Ohio. They go to Missouri State, and then finally they play in Bloomington at home against Cincinnati, Purdue, Fort Wayne. Then they go to Troy for three. Well, Troy will finally have somebody that they can play. I'm sorry. Did I crash on them again? Yeah, Screw you. you. Freaking little did. Trojan horses. Be nice. I know. And we've got friends there, I know. but Yeah, and the Cajuns, remember, open conference play at Troy. Unfortunately, I will not be at, but fortunately, my, my nephew is getting married that week and I'll, in here in Lafayette, so I do not have to travel. My sister's coming in from New Mexico. My brother is coming in from uh from texas and my other brother it will be in from homa so sorry that's a little things that you didn't need to know but but that's good um so yeah, yeah i you know we'll see we'll see how indiana is um look the bottom line is this they're a big 10 team okay so the fact that you're playing them is going to help you from an rpi standpoint and if you play them and beat them of course it, it helps even more but you're going to but the big 10 is going to be a respected conference with a good RPI as a conference. And so the fact that you're playing a Big Ten team uh, is a good thing. Just like the Cajuns playing LSU is good because you're going to get, and Arkansas, because you're going to get some SEC sponge right there. Uh, Stanford in the Pac-12. UC Irvine in the Big West. Because I want to say they were projected to be a four-bid league this year. Uh, a three-bid league, I'm sorry. Conference USA was four. And then in Conference USA, you've got three with Southern Miss. You've got two at Louisiana Tech. So the fact that you're playing teams from really good conferences in the non-conference play can do nothing but help you, especially if you win your share of those games. You know, let's talk, uh, you know, we mentioned it earlier, uh, it, uh, Seth Thibodeau. Can, I have not talked to Coach Steggs about it, and it's not something I need to, quite honestly, but I can see the respect, and I know the respect that he that that Coach Robichaux had for for Seth Thibodeau, yeah. <clears throat> and and Matt Deggs has that same respect. But my, I just feel like I don't know if this this year's team is different than last year's team. And I, I and 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 Coach Deggs, I'm not going to say it's not as intense. Oh no, he's every bit as intense. He's intense. I mean, he won't, He hates to lose. I mean, don't get me wrong with that. But there are things that I think that Seth Tippett, as a twelve-year head coach, 
is able to take away from Coach Diggs. It makes him more well, comfortable. Well, you know, he, he hired him and he said, he said, look, I, I need to really work with this offense, so, so take this pitching staff, please, and, and go do, you know, go develop, go do what you need to do. And the fact that Seth Thibodeau is making all the visits to the mound tells me that he has a tremendous amount of authority um, with that. And, um, you know, tomorrow night, Louisiana Athletics Live over at Pete's, and that may be a question I ask Coach Deggs if I, if I remember to do it, um, because we're going to get caught up talking about the games and all of that stuff. I, um, but he does have a tremendous amount of respect for Seth Thibodeau. Um, look, the pitching coach job here is a, is a job that a lot of folks wanted to have. And Matt Deggs wanted Seth Thibodeau because Seth Thibodeau wanted to be a Cajun. And he had those years of experience. And he said, he said, I felt like I needed a second head coach in order to do what we needed to do here. So we hire Seth and, and he says, okay, you know, here, go be the pitching coach. And not only that, you see it because he's letting him do the mound visits and everything. Yeah. And nothing against anybody that was here before. Or what he did, but it, you can tell the confidence that he has in it. And uh, Coach Thibodeau is a tremendous hire, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, he's also a heck of a guy. Yes, you know, and and he he fits right in with this culture, with this coaching staff. Uh, you know, Jake Wells is the only quote, outsider, unquote, but Jake Wells is, is one of us, and he has been since the day he got here. Uh, and then, you know, Zach LaFleur, of course, is an alumnus here, and he's the volunteer assistant coaches first base. I, I, just, I just have a feeling that there's an intensity and a camaraderie and a, um, gosh, I don't know if I, if I can find the, the, the right word, a determination, I guess. Because Jake's been here long enough to where now um, this is personal for all of them. You know, Coach Wells, I think, is a tremendous asset. I've been able to talk to him several times throughout the years. Uh, and I just, he's going to be a head coach. And, and Coach Deggs admits it. Brian Maggard admits it. I, um, I hope it's a I little was, bit later. <laughs> I, I was about to say, he's ready to be a head coach now. Yeah. Okay. And I think that as the Cajuns have success, his name is going to start popping up a lot when it when job openings come up. I, Jake Wells will be a Division One head coach, and uh, it might be sooner rather than later. We'll yeah. see. I'm hoping it's a little rather later, selfishly, but he's a tremendous asset to Cajun. And Zach Lafleur, let's go back to him for a second. You know, Zach is an alumnus, like you said. Zach played uh, at Turlings Catholic, was a running back on their football team. Now, I, I want to say led the state in touchdown scored, but I'm not I'm not too sure because I just moved back. Zach's parents are good friends of mine. Uh, Jamie LaFleur is a fraternity brother of mine. Janine, who was Janine Johnson, was the third baseman for Stephanie Lotif when she pitched here. Right. So, very athletic family, great family. Uh, I, I, I wanted to embarrass Zach at one of the meetings asking him who was a better athlete, his mom or his dad, but I didn't want to put him in that position. Oh, Two great you should people. have. I, I will at some point. Trust me. Oh, you should have, dude. I, I'm Come hope- on, you had an opportunity. You didn't take advantage of it. What's the matter with you? So 
I want to correct something that I said on the broadcast on Saturday, though, Jay. I said Bridge City was an island because there were only, the only way to get in were three bridges over. It is not an island, but there is only three roads that go into the city, and they're over rivers. But it's not an island. I don't know, looking at the map here, if it's marshland. It's in the southern part. Of, it's in the. Uh, it's it's along the uh, the Gulf. It's not far from Port Arthur, am I right? Right, it's in between Beaumont and Orange. Okay. So, but it, it, it's it's right there. It is not an island. There's land all around it, but I don't know if it's marshland. But anyway, to get into the city of Bridge City, there are three bridges, and that's why it's called. That's why bridge. it's called Bridge City. And, so, and, not and not three Bridge it, Island. They're going to call it Havardville if uh, Peyton continues to pitch the way he's pitched. I agree. We've gone a little bit long tonight, but Jay, thank you so much. I know you came out on a Sunday night after a very long weekend between uh, three baseball games and a basketball game, but thank you so much. Appreciate it. We're going to get together. We're going to try to get together uh, maybe on home weekends on Sunday night, but at the latest on Mondays, uh, and we'll bring you updates. Uh, I can do it next Sunday because I'll be back in town on Saturday, actually, Saturday afternoon. I will not be back on town on Sunday because uh, I will be – with Cody Jr. on the broadcast at 6 p.m. on Ooh, Sunday that's night. That's right. You're okay. We can't do it because you're doing a baseball game. There that you is go. something different. And I tell you, Jay, uh, I wasn't going to bring this up, but thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I was scared shitless. I felt nervous as all hell. The only thing that I think that really saved me, and I and I think it was an act of God, was the power going out. <laughs> I really, you know, I I I thought about what I wanted to say. I didn't know if you were going to come to me pregame until you actually said, we're going to have Craig's corner. And then my, excuse me, my butthole puckered up. But that is the one thing I'd really thought about what I wanted to talk about. And the questions you asked me, even though we hadn't talked about, were things I had thought about the night before, just watching the game. And then when we got into the first, second inning, I was, I was just like going... Uh, 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 uh. I felt like an idiot, but once the game got started and you were doing it on your phone, there were things I felt I could say, but I couldn't say because you had, you were doing it on your phone. And then when you asked me, I was like, I wasn't paying the cl attention close enough. So at that point, I started marking down balls and strike because we didn't have the, the, the statistics and everything for us on the. And by the time we came back on the radio, I felt good. I felt comfortable. And the one thing. I realized was I could not be Brad Topham. I could not be Ian, Ian Ozan. I could not be Cody Juno. I could not be Jay Walker. I had to be Craig Malonso. There you go. And I talked about, I felt comfortable because I talked about what I knew. And I didn't try to be somebody I wasn't. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for stepping up. It uh, was, uh, you know, I did not know that Brad wasn't going to be there Saturday until a few days ago. Well, and, we were having and, dinner, <laughs> and I and I and I looked at you at dinner and said, "You available Saturday?" And you said yes. And you know, I of course we already had you lined up to do those two games in Round Rock, and and hopefully this game yesterday helps you uh, this weekend because you're going to be working with Cody, who uh, is a very good play-by-play -play guy, but uh, you know is not quite as experienced. Yeah. Um, and so you'll be able to help him. He'll be able to help you, and it all works out. Cody's very good, and I think one thing that I, I also learned from this is that not, I did not want to repeat a lot of the same stuff that Brad had said on Friday night, but at the same time, your radio audience is different from That's game it. to game. And well, I could have repeated it. You know, your, your radio audience is not only different from game to game, 
your radio different uh, radio audience could be different from the beginning of the game to the middle of the game, from the middle of the game to the end of the game. You know, we want to believe, okay, that when the game starts, these people are riveted to the radio and they stay there for nine innings. And even if they need to poop, they don't do it because <laughs> they, because they might miss something. All right, we would love to believe that, but the reality of the situation is. It doesn't work that way. Well, great week for uh, Cajun sports, Cajun athletics, and uh, very happy to be a very small part of it. Uh, shout out to all the teams, uh, women's tennis, men's tennis, uh, softball, baseball. Men's and women's basketball. Men's and women's it, it, basketball. You know, softball didn't win this weekend, but they didn't lose either. But, they, guess, but guess what? They're getting ready to be really busy. Well, they play Tuesday night, and uh, and, and they come up this weekend uh, with two games against Alabama, one at home, one on a neutral field. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll, find, uh, we'll find somebody. We'll talk a little bit Cajun softball later on in the year. But, Jay, as always, thank you very much for coming out tonight. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me. Go Cajuns. You've been listening to We're Talking, Craig Malasaw and Jay Walker. We'll see you next week. Or hear you next week. Well, you'll hear Talk us. Talk to you next week. You'll Talk hear to you us. next week. We'll, it's not television. You won't see us. Yes. Thank you very much.